And so James chapter 3, we'll be reading from the first 12 verses. And up to this point, we've, we've heard a lot. We've been exhorted. Uh, we've talked about um, faith plus works, being a doer of the Word. And, um, and this morning we continue in that talk. And really, I think we'll deal some with the responsibility that comes in the Christian life. So you're welcome to stand with me and read from God's Word this morning. James chapter 3 again, verses 1 through 12. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. Behold also ships, which though they be so great are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor list, uh, listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word you've given us. Father, this is the word that sustains us. Your word tells us by it you uphold all things. And so, Father, we come here to rest upon you, upon just your sovereign work and care in our life. Father, upon the love and mercy you've demonstrated through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray as we gather together in your word that you would bless us with your presence, that we would experience Christ, that we would experience the Holy Spirit in full measure among us today. Lord, that, that your word as it goes forth this morning would bear fruit. Father, we, we pray for each one of us and the hearts that are here. Father, that we would all be drawn to submit and, and, and to love. And, and Lord, to, to hear this in unity of heart, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. So this morning, I'm going to cover our, our passage with three points, and each of those three points is going to have three sub-points. Those have been included in the bulletin for you. If you'd like to follow along, that is the outline that I'll be using. And um, so there's some fill-in-the-blanks. If you've got a pen, that just helps us to engage, and I'll help you with those. 
So right out of the gate, James jumps on masters or teachers. Um, we've got a, a culture of discipleship or apprenticeship is something we might think of. We're seeing particular weight given to the task of teaching, but I want to frame our discussion this morning properly because he's been, he, he's been talking so far about the unified teaching of Christ and how that calls us to action. We're still looking wholeheartedly at the work of Jesus Christ, but I would argue that James is calling all of his readers at some level to, of mastery, to some level of mastery in handling these biblical truths, in living the Christian life, in understanding the work and the, and the, and the good news of Christ applied to the, those around them. And so I would argue that all of us have a role to play here. Would you agree? I mean, I've been preaching to, to you all. And so um, hopefully we see that, that we have a responsibility in how we handle the Word of God. And so we've talked about being drawn in, in, in radical humility amidst trial, um, putting our words into faithful action. Um, we've we've uh, seen how we complete our faith by works, all the while relying completely and utterly upon the work, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, before we handle this weighty task of teaching, I want to remind us that we are all called to various levels of leadership. And so that's that first sub-point is we're called, the call to teach. I don't want any of us to, to be tempted to sit by, sit idly by and listen to this as if uh, uh, this part of the sermon is not for you uh, or that I'm supposed to be talking to myself or maybe Brother Chad can listen or, or anyone else, maybe just the Sunday school teachers. Church, remember the great commission to which we were called. Do you all remember this? Go therefore into all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Or, you know, that's paraphrase. So teaching, we're told in Titus 2, the elder teach the younger. Parents, we're commanded to teach our children in Deuteronomy 4 and 6 and 11 and Psalm 78 and Proverbs 22, Ephesians 6, Matthew 18 and 19 and Colossians 3. Maybe that gives a little weight to the teaching responsibilities of a parent here today. Um, husbands are called to be leaders within their own homes, even leading their, their wives in, in certain respects. Surely we're all called to be a light into the world in matters of salvation and, and, and uh, you know, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and conveying this message to the world around us. And, and, and I as well as a pastor... We're charged as, as leaders demonstrating some level of mastery regarding God's Word and, and doctrine or teaching. So I'm speaking, James is speaking to all of us at some level here, even in verse 1 when he says, be not masters or, or, or not all of you be teachers, he's saying, knowing that we'll receive the greater condemnation. We'll deal with the rest of that in turn. So that's a heavy charge. Not everybody become teachers. We've all talked and seen the way that we all have a, a different teaching role in our families or workplaces or wherever that may be. But that's a heavy charge, especially in light of our second sub-point there, the reality of continued sin. 
Now that sure does make things difficult. Whenever he argues we'll receive the greater common condemnation, we're not necessarily talking about being condemned to hell. That's not, I don't think it's the language he's using. But what we do see is that we'll each be held responsible for the different uh, ways in which we lead others to Christ or lead them astray. We'll be held responsible. Scripture affirms that we'll be judged for every idle word spoken in Matthew 12. Every idle word. Surely he'll judge teachers. When we consider the testing of our work, I remember Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 3 about you know your work will be tested as by fire. And if it's made of straw, it'll burn up. Boy, that brings serious weight when we consider the people and the relationships that we impact with this word of God or with, with rather our words, our leadership. And so heavy weight. Notice James, James's speech here though. He says, we shall receive the greater condemnation. And in verse two, for many things, we offend all. We continue to sin. He includes himself in, in, in his letter here to be, you know, to the churches. He, he feels the weight of this. He says, if, if you avoid sin in what you say, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. So if you don't sin in the things that you say, in the way that you speak, well, then that, that person is perfect. He goes on, though, in verse 8, that no one can tame the tongue. No one's without sin. So I'm pretty confident, according to the Word of God, I'm talking to everyone out here, a bunch of people who have sinned with their tongue, who have untamed tongues, according to the Word of God, and that we have a lesson to learn here. So then, as we lead our children, as we lead our families, um, moms, dads, even as I stand before you today in the pulpit, it should be readily applied to all of us and I'd be a fool if I did not feel the weight of Paul's words in Philippians 2.12 that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I would argue much more so when we go to carry this gospel that all of us have been commanded to do in some form or fashion. And so then, moving right along, there is a word of caution for the teacher as he walks through this, this passage really, though there's serious weight, this, this passage should embolden us in, in the gospel message and in, in our tasks of leading those around us. We've already talked about in, in, uh, in 118 where he beget us with the word of truth or in 121 that we, we live by this engrafted word this dependency upon the Word, so then it's important that we teach the Word honestly. So this word of caution, if we were to apply this and mean what, what is the condemnation with which he speaks, and, and we're going to go into this more um, with some of the evil, the sin that, that we do with our mouths, but this means that I, standing here, am not at liberty to uh, enforce my opinion on you. I'm not at liberty to shy away from the hard stuff that, that steps on toes too much. Um, 
you can rest assured if, if I'm saying it from the pulpit, it is because I am convinced in my, in my heart of hearts, I'm convinced of it because I'm going to be judged. There's no other way. I mean, there is a, a heavy weight that comes down upon the shoulders of a preacher. And while many a guys might do it, I have no option, according to this text, to speak anything else. And I assure you it convicts me as hard as it will ever convict you. There is a weight to this. You are accountable to the same. Do you see that? So learn the Scriptures well. Represent them fully and faithfully to your families. And if we're people controlled by the Word that we've already studied up to this point, there's little room for frivolous speech. For those of us who have been called by His name, how grave a sin it must be to handle our words and God's Word carelessly. So now James moves quickly to our second point, the danger of words. He gives three illustrations. I'm in verse three. Behold the bits put in horses' mouths that they may obey us that we turn about the whole body. Behold the ships when they be so great and are driven by fierce winds and are turned about with a very small helm. And he also speaks of a fire. Now we've already discussed the bit. James used that earlier on talking about the man who bridles his, his mouth. He sees really just an extreme weight upon our words. And, and, and so without reiterating all that I had said then, we know that, that putting the bit and bridle on the horse's mouth, we're able, a, a relatively small human can control and direct a 2,000 pound animal to do some pretty amazing things. And so we see that, the bit and the bridle, um, the... Uh, the ship and, and the rudder. Uh, we should know, I don't know if some of you are fishermen, got your little trolling motors, but we might say that a boat the size of this building would be controlled by a rudder the size of this podium. Okay, something relatively small. We could think of a, a, a number of examples to see how so little a thing how has such a, a big influence. Um, you know, some of you know we're involved, you know, me and the boys and we go, they're involved in judo. Well, the martial artist oftentimes likes to demonstrate how he can use so little effort, sometimes one or two fingers, in order to control, you know, maybe the attack or something of an aggressor. And so, and they've actually made use of this. It's become quite popular. Um, they even had a group come in down at the mill that, that they had a martial arts background. Uh, remember our hand smart training? Chad, do you remember hearing about that? These were martial artists. And that's what they did is they talked about you know, the strong side. They wanted to, to use these things that they knew in order to get us to work more safely or ergonomically so we didn't hurt ourselves. We could use minimal effort for maximum efficiency. And that's what they would do. Uh, so, so they've got a lot of different demonstrations. Some of you can think of your own, but James moves on to utilize a much more negative example there in 5 and 6. He says, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. That spark that starts a fire and ravages a large forest, James says, that points to the destruction of the tongue. 
you know, and I, and I haven't been able to follow or research much about it, but Amazon supposedly is burning right now as I speak. There's people out there really uh, wanting some attention for this. They claim that the, the Amazon, the large Amazon forest, could account for some 20% of the oxygen that we breathe. Now imagine James saying that the cause of all of that, acres and acres, thousands of acres, your, th this is your tongue that becomes the cause of something so terrible. Let, he, he literally calls it, he says, it's the fire of hell. It sets the fire of hell. Let, let that sink in. Think of how easy our words can destroy relationships. How easy our words diminish trust. They hurt those you love most. Um, in every relationship, every, our, our work, think, think of our, our words. Perhaps you have damaged your own witness before uh, your children, your spouse or a coworker. Um, James admits his own fault here, I think, including himself, we have sinned in all these things. And can you imagine, can you hear James' voice preaching to us as he reflects on all of his early skepticism when he failed to believe in Jesus Christ? James, this half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine the weight James feels on even his own words. So the tongue is untamed. James makes sure to include every reader. Going beyond his former illustrations, he points to all the species that have been domesticated. Every kind of beast, birds, serpents, things of the sea are tamed and tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Our generation is not the first to see this. Um, you know, we've already talked about, you know, the bridle. Well, I don't know if any of y'all have ever seen a cutting horse. Um, and I have it even in person, but it amazes me to watch with just that, that bridle, to watch a horse now dodge back and forth like a dog to separate cattle. It's amazing. I mean, it blows my mind. My uncle used to have a dog, Charlie, that could go up and go let the pups out. And he'd go and he'd open up the kennel and let them run free. And I used to love watching him herd those dogs back in a kennel with a small gate. And he'd herd them back in there and he would stand up and he would walk the gate shut and wait for Uncle Sam to come and latch it. I mean, I love, I love seeing these things. I don't know if y'all have seen, I mean, what, or ever been to SeaWorld or something, watch the dolphins, even these massive whales, how they can just get them to do anything. Um, and, and, and honestly, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, circuses are, are notorious for going even a bit too far at times to demonstrate the, the, the just reach of domestication. We can do amazing things. Apes can have been taught sign language. Birds have been trained to, to speak. Um, still, not one man, not one woman has domesticated their tongue. I mean, we can accomplish wondrous things, but we cannot tame our speech. I think it's true. God's word says it's true. Each one of us has fallen 
to emotional uproar. We have fallen to deception, to hate, and contradiction from our own mouths. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That's what he says. So it seems like we've got that tongue of mass destruction. I thought that was a clever little thing there, but according to James, we see a much greater destruction coming from our own mouths. His pronouncement in verse 9, though, carries the greatest weight. Look at that. Therewith we bless God, even the Father, and therewith we curse men which are made after the similitude of God, after God's likeness, in God's image. The same tongues that offered up worship just a little bit ago, even this morning, is, is that same tongue that has slandered those made in God's image. Amen. In the last argument you had, or in my frustration perhaps with my children or something, if I lose my cool, the same tongue can offer worship. Have you ever thought of that? How the prophet would say, woe is me, man of unclean lips. Surely we can relate. I find it interesting, looking back, remembering the Tower of Babel. I don't know if y'all remember that. After the deluge, the flood of Noah, uh, uh, all the men spoke the same language. Every person spoke the same language and they, they built a magnificent tower. Now, now, understandably, they were still full of sin. God knew the sin that that would create. Nevertheless, we see they, were, they could accomplish great things because of their unity in language. Their, their, their speech with one another. God comes down and does simply one thing. He confounds their speech. This is when He brings in different languages. Don't you find it interesting that with such a thing as speech, the work is not possible. I would argue that ever since then, man has been working to tear down the world with its relationships using the tongue that God had confounded. Our image and likeness of God has only been further marred and offended with every demonstration of backbiting and gossip and whatever it is that we do uh, with our speech. Even in this, even within His church. Um, I don't know if you all have seen that here. I haven't been here very long. But even within the church, we've been guilty of these things. Now how terrible... How terrible is that? Now the solution is not for us to, to be more agreeable persons on the color of the carpet or to be, or, or to be more loose and, and generous in, in a translation of, of any doctrine or teaching here just to be more agreeable. The, the solution is, is to be consumed with the Word of God. It's for us to rest in one thing. Is for us to do this. I, I, I would venture to say if we spent more time speaking this word, then, I, then I'm confident we would avoid all the slander against our brothers and sisters. I think we would avoid all these sins that we create with our speech and with our mouth and the sin against God's own image. The damage that our words inflict. Surely he wants to be once James wants us to be fully enveloped in Christ by his word. But now I think with all of this, there's a lot of heaviness in this passage. All of this 
though, also holds grand implications for what we ought to do. And so I would like to look at our last and final point, the word of the taint, the work of the tamed tongue. So for the one that strives to submit to this, I think we should see that the, the tongue that we're supposed to have, that James is calling us to, is one that is consistent. He says, you know, we bless God and, and we curse men. Out of the same mouth, verse 10, proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. We, we can't do this. You know, we've already acknowledged that we've all got an ongoing battle where we face sin and, and all of us are guilty here, I do believe. But... But the child of God is being pushed to develop new patterns of living. Patterns now. So what we're talking about is patterns of speech. Patterns of thinking. Patterns of doing. Hopefully we've seen that in our study through James. Now that takes time. It's not an event. He is talking about a life that, that we are to live. An ongoing thing. Hey boys, can you all quiet down a minute? I've called you out in front of everyone, so everyone's looking at you now, okay? Help me out. So, patterns. That takes time for us to demonstrate. And surely we've sinned. And it's going to take time to rebuild, I think, our witness. But this is the sort of thing, these patterns is what builds relationships James isn't putting any, any new requirements. He's not putting requirements of the law upon us. He's simply insisting upon the changed life of the Christian. There's no event in you that you can do that's going to warrant your salvation or make up for all these nasty sins. But there's one event, and that's the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our event. Our evidence comes in a new pattern of life. This consistency in speech is one such evidence. Also, the second way, the, the work of the tame tongue is blessing. The tame, tame speech speaks blessing. Listen, I, I have experienced in my own life the, the terrible habit of critical speech in the life of my kids and of, of my wife where I've been just overly critical. I've experienced that. And it's a terrible thing. And, and listen, an apology, I'm, I'm sorry, it just doesn't suffice. It doesn't, it doesn't make up for any of these things. Whenever I've been so harsh, it takes a, a changed pattern of speech that blesses my family, that draws them to the Word of God and offers them blessing. That's really hard for me to do right now with the chatter that's coming from the front pew. But you understand the tame tongue speaks blessing. Lastly, the tame tongue brings glory to God. James uses a couple extra pictures here. Verses 11 and 12. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. We get that. He's, we've, we've talked in here about the, um, the trees with the good, good tree bearing good fruit, bad tree bearing bad fruit. But I don't think we have to go very far um, to see James's use, I mean, listen to that. The vine 
in the spring. I, to me, immediately when I read this, I thought James must be relying upon that teaching he remembered from Jesus himself. Jesus said in, in uh, John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so it stands, we then will have the fruit that Christ produces in us. Nothing else, just his fruit. We remember that Jesus speaking with a woman at the well and he told her this, he said, the water I give shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He told his own apostles, he that believeth in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I think it's clear, brothers and sisters, that we are this fountain. When he talks about vine and fountain, that we're a conduit that, that yields spiritual water. We're a vine attached, or we're a branch attached to that vine that is Christ. Speaking to all of those that have believed in his name, we're, we are a well, a spring like this, and when we overwell, it's gonna be that, that living water that is Christ. It's Jesus welling up inside of us. His Spirit filling us to full measure. That's what we, that's what we speak. The over, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Let's speak Christ. Don't, let, don't be accused of producing what's bitter in your life. But only, only that which is the sweet taste of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you all bow your heads in a word of prayer with me this morning?